This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Deuteronomy and then we'll be going back to the book of Genesis. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we'll begin. We're in a series, mini-series, where we're trusting the Lord to help prepare our hearts for the revival meetings that are coming up. I believe that God used Evangelist Morris Gleiser last week to help us. Amen. Uh, If you were not able to hear those messages, they are on our website, and you need to go back and listen. Please go back and listen, uh, because he helped put so many things in perspective, especially last Sunday evening when it comes to trials. Uh, And we're going to reflect on that this morning. Throughout God's Word, we see a pattern that God used in Old Testament Israel as well as the pattern he uses in the New Testament church, you, me. He uses a believer facing trial to refine us, or as the evangelist said last week, to carve the image of Christ into us. And sometimes it does feel like somebody's carving, doesn't it? But he is. In order to make something beautiful and worthwhile and of eternal value. The key Old Testament passage that illustrates this is Deuteronomy 6. Again, look at verse 23. And he brought us out from thence, Egypt, that he might bring us in. To give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. Now, with that, we have some great and precious promises. He brought us out of the world to bring us to himself. And along with that work, he has also given us a book full of promises. And in Israel, he met every need in the wilderness. Only God can move people into a desert and give them all the food and the water they need, all the provision and their clothes and the things they have not wear out. Only God can do that. But why did he do that? Because he was teaching them. It it wasn't hard for God. With everything that happened with Israel, as we say today, God never broke a sweat. It wasn't hard. But if, if we can use this language, the hardest thing God had to do was try to get Israel's hearts to believing, to following. And so, again, breaking it down, he brought us out. This is deliverance from Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. God brought them out of Egypt. Uh, deliverance. But, by the way, deliverance with blood. Blood had to be applied to the home of every Israelite, right? On those side door posts, on the top. And if you connect all of those those places where the blood was, a cross. 
That's what it pointed to. Blood had to be applied. A mighty deliverance. He brought us out that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. Entering the promised land is what's pictured there. It also pictures the Christian's victory through faith. But then there's this in-between time, and that's the wilderness journey, a time of testing, trial to reveal the heart. And this, again, is the breaking process. Now, is this really what God was doing? You're in chapter 6, just go over to chapter 8, and the Lord is very clear on this in verse 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Now, this whole matter of humble thee, what, what's that about? Well, because one of the things that we think is that we are responsible for our own self-provision. But we're not. And so God moved Israel into a wilderness where they had to depend on the Lord. And oh, by the way, so was the promised land. The promised land is one of those, yeah, it flowed with milk and honey, but there's not a lot of water there. There's one river, and, there, and that one river feeds a freshwater lake. Otherwise, Israel was dependent on God to bring the rains from heaven to keep everything green and growing. And the Lord told them, if you trust me, if you'll walk with me, please me, it'll rain, and it will rain. But if you turn your back on me, it's going to stop raining, and it's going to be a reminder to you that you're completely dependent on me to turn your heart back to me. So this is the process that God used with Israel. This is the process that he uses with his church, though Israel and the church are two separate entities in Scripture. Now, one of the key New Testament passages that teaches this, and then again, we're going to get to Genesis, is 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or various trials. wonder if anybody in here knows anything about that. It just doesn't seem to stop, does it? Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, trying of your faith being much more precious than the gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. By the way, at the appearing of Jesus Christ, when all the trials end for the church. What a blessing. But for right now, the Lord is growing us. He is refining us as precious gold. So God always uses the breaking process. Our cooperation, yieldedness, can make that easier and more profitable, or we can react. And what we have to be careful of is when the trials come that we focus on the trial instead of focusing on God who wants to use the trial for good. 
I tell you, if, if you can just ask, just submit yourself to God in that moment and say, Lord, I'm not going to focus on what's happening. I'm going to focus on you and what you want to do in using this. It'll be transformative in your life. Now, note the following about this process. God initiates the breaking process. God initiates it. Uh, again, I... <laughs> Just how these things fit together. Morris Gleiser mentioned that God gives permission to the trial. thought that was profound. Why? Because he initiates it. He could stop all of that. He could prevent it all. Sometimes, though, he gives permission so that that trial can come and God can use that in your life. One of the best examples, I think, in the Old Testament is Job. You remember Job? Not too many people today name their kids Job. But... Job, think things were going well here on earth. And who initiated the contest? Satan. And here's literally the Hebrew in the book of Job. You have considered my servant Job, that he's a just man, that he eschews evil. God said that to him twice. And then Satan, he gives his reasoning. Yeah, but, but you've done all these things for him. If you, if you take it away, he'll curse you to your face. By the way, if you want to know what a scoundrel the devil is, like there's any doubt. Imagine a fallen angel before the throne saying those kinds of things to God. And by the way, if you want to know what a merciful God is, that angel is allowed to say it, and God didn't just wipe him out right there. But you'll remember that God initiated that breaking process. What else do we know? We are commanded to cooperate with God in the breaking process. James 1, 3, and 4, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but that patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect or complete and entire, wanting, lacking nothing. Down deep in your heart, fellow believer, is there a longing to be complete in Christ? Do you ever have this conversation with yourself or with God? Lord, I just want to be over this. Lord, this stubborn sin habit, this, this, this frustrating pattern in my life, Lord, I just, I just want to be done with it. Well, God says just keep cooperating with the work that I'm doing, and God will bring deliverance. So God broke Abraham. Remember the trial with Ishmael? Remember Abraham being asked to offer Isaac? God broke Jacob, who wrestled with the Lord all night long. And God won. God broke another man. and He's who we're going to focus on in the rest of our time. His name was Joseph. His breaking process set the stage for Israel being in Egypt in the first place, right? Now, what do we learn about Joseph's life? Well, there are some basic things here. And now let's go to Genesis Chapter 37. We're going to be moving around in Genesis. I'm looking forward someday to walk a gold street and walk up to a guy whose name is Joseph, introduce myself, and I want to hear his story. It's not going to contradict what Scripture says because Scripture's got it exactly right. But Joseph's perspective... On, on all that happened. Won't that be fun? 
Well, what do we know about Joseph's life? Well, here are some things that his life teaches us. First, God's humbling process is needed to expose our true self. I believe we have a very sincere church here. I believe that what what we see overall on the outside is what's happening on the inside. And I praise God. In his father's rebuke, you're in chapter 37, look at verse 10. And he told it to his father, speaking of his dreams, and to his brethren. His father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? I believe that the beginning of verse 10 helps us see that this wasn't just a son having a conversation with dad. Hey, dad, I, I had a dream. Can we talk about it? No dad would re- react to that. But it must have been the way he said it that there needed to be a rebuke. Go on. Shall I and my mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down uh, ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. All right, his brothers are not spiritual. They react. Dad is at this point, he's a broken man. God has had his, he's now Israel. He's a prince with God. And so he gives the rebuke, but he's also taking these things. This is interesting. Spiritual discernment. But now let me just stop for a moment and remind us. In these chapters, God is not just breaking Joseph. There's a whole group of brothers, and they need to be broken too. Let me ask you a question. If you know the book of Genesis, does God end up breaking the brothers? Wow. Yeah, yeah. he he breaks them. You and I get to see behind the scenes about what is happening, but God is going to work those rascals over, and they're going to be right too. Isn't God great? And by the way, how does God work them over? By providing food for them. All the interaction with Joseph. And I'm jumping ahead. So let's back up. God's humbling process is needed to expose our true self. Joseph is exposed. And yet, he's also willing to believe what God had shown him. Joseph never forgets those dreams. You think, all right, with all that happened with Potiphar, With all that happened in the prison, how does Joseph stay true? He didn't forget what God had showed him in those dreams. I do think that God had humbled him. He realized, I didn't approach that so well. But at the same time, he didn't lose sight of what God had shown him. God's promises. Do you know that what will sustain you in this time when God is exposing your true self is the fact that God's also given you a lot of promises and those promises aren't negated because you get to see you the way you really are. God's already known what you are. God already knew what you would be in the flesh. And he gave all those promises. Why? To save you and to sanctify you if you'll keep your eyes on him. What an encouragement. So God's humbling process is needed to expose what we are. Number two, the wilderness isn't all there is to the believer's life. It's not all there is to the believer's story. So the wilderness for Joseph, the brothers hate. Imagine selling a sibling 
into slavery. Well, they might as well have killed him because it was the equivalent. They fully expected when they put Joseph, sold Joseph to that band of Ishmaelites, they were never going to see him again. Done. The brothers hate. Then slavery. False accusation by Potiphar's wife. You know what? You know when it stings for me the hardest is when I've tried to please God and it seems like it's backfired. Have you ever had a time like that? Where your good is evil spoken of? <laughs> you try to do what's right. You try to walk with God. You try to please him. And it's like everything starts going wrong. I think the devil has something to do with that. He's going to discourage you. If you're, if you're sold out to God, he's going to paint a bullseye on your back. If you're already playing to his game, he's going to leave you alone because he's got you. All right, so Joseph falsely accused into prison, in prison, continuing to be used to the Lord, but forgotten. The wilderness isn't all there is to the believer's life. And God enabled Joseph to understand this. This isn't it. Now, it went on for years. Just like we don't know how long Job's trial lasted, we do know how long Joseph's trial lasted, but it was years. While the breaking process continues, there was blessing. And Joseph came to understand the breaking process. And we'll see his testimony at the end about that. Number three. God begins the breaking process even in a believer's youth. Even in a believer's youth. So we have a number of children, teens here this morning. Praise God. Thank you, young people, for being here. Some of you are saying, I didn't have a whole lot of choice. I'd, I'd rather be home sleeping right now. But, but you're here. And I hope your heart is here too. But depending on when the Lord saves you, God's going to begin that breaking process in your life too. Now, the Lord has called your parents to help with that breaking process. It's called nurture, discipline, and admonition. And just like you don't like the discipline that your parents give you, if they're doing it biblically, it's intended to, to make you say, ouch, okay? But you know that what they're doing is what the Father in heaven does. And if your parents don't do it, they're not doing you any favors because God is still going to be a faithful father. You're still going to get disciplined even if your parents cause you to think that God is this tolerant God who lets you get away and do what you want. Okay? So God uses godly parents. And parents remind your children the breaking process is necessary. Why? Because a child left to himself will bring his mother to what? Shame. Okay? To destruction. And so that's part of it. But, you know, God also uses other things. I know kids who have had cancer. I know children who have lost people that are very close and dear to them. 
And, and we want to shield them. We want to protect them. But, but I will testify to this. This many years in the ministry, some of those who have been through that deep water are today some of God's choicest servants. Why? Because of the breaking process. Joseph was a man fit to be a prime minister. Why? Because of the work God had done in his life. All right, so let's consider now the specific components of God's breaking process. And we're looking again at Joseph's life, but here we go, the specific components. First of all, realize it's a partnership. It's a partnership. God doesn't have it out for you. In fact, he, and we'll see this in Jeremiah, he is the potter and we are what? We're the clay. So does that mean that the potter hates the clay? No. No. In fact, he works with that clay and and as Jeremiah was in the potter's house and he saw the potter working with that clay, the potter had to stop. Why? There was a flaw. There's a piece of dirt, there was a stone, there was something that, that wasn't supposed to be in the clay. And the potter reached in and he pulls that out, he sets it aside, and then he continues and completes his work. So, it's a partnership. Now, how was it a partnership with Joseph? Go to chapter 39. And let's just follow through these chapters to see the partnership. Chapter 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the home of his master, the Egyptian. A partnership. Look at chapter 40 in verse 8. This is after he's in prison now. The butler, the baker... They said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God. I love this. Don't they belong to God? Okay, tell me then, and I pray you. Do you see what's happening? It's a partnership. I can't interpret dreams. Only God can, but tell me. Because we're partners in this, and I know God will reveal your dream through me. What a partnership. From, by the way, a young man. Look at chapter 41 and verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me to answer or to interpret dreams. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So, young people, imagine standing before the most powerful man in the world and saying, Tell me because my God can interpret this. That kind of assurance, that kind of a partnership. Well, Joseph's just one of those special guys that God did special things with because he was going to use them in a special way. You know what? You're no different. No different. Regardless of your age here today, it's a partnership. Chapter 41, verse 38, drop down in that chapter. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Now here's a man who was worshipped as God. But he's saying, the Spirit of God. He realized, 
the God that this man serves, he's a different God altogether. Why? Because Joseph understood this is a partnership. God did not give you life and put you on this planet, young person or adult, so that you can wander in a wilderness and stumble and fall and run into things and not know what's going on. God didn't do that. He put you here, and he gave his son to save you so that your fellowship with him can be restored and can be real and so that you can live out a partnership that gives your life complete meaning. It's a partnership. Don't forget that because there are going to be things that happen where it seems like the partner in the relationship has abandoned you. He has not. I will never leave you, say it with me, nor forsake you. And does he ever have reason to feel like forsaking us? But he won't. He won't. So, a partnership. Now, it requires participation as well. And let's look at these, these things. Remember, in a trial, don't focus on the trial. Focus on the one who wants to use the trial in your life. Chapter 39, look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Participation. Look at verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all that the prisoners, uh, all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. No complaining, no bitterness, participation. Chapter 40, look at verse 7. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Why do we mention that verse? Why, why is that here? Because they're complaining. Okay, it's rough. They're in prison. But here's a man who is also in prison. He's been falsely accused. And yet he's looking out for, why are you down? Why are you discouraged? Hey, what's going on? He's not a complainer. Not only does participation involve no complaining, it also involves no corruption. Keep the sin out. You know what Satan wants to do in your life and mine? When things get rough, we want to quit. And part of that quitting is, well, I'll just go back to what I was. Doesn't seem to matter anyway. Oh, yeah, it does. See, God's, God's refining you. He's taking you away from that. Don't use it as an excuse to go back to it. So what did Joseph do? Back to chapter 39 again. Chapter 39, verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, 
Now notice, truth on the inward parts and he declares it outwardly. What a spiritual lesson. He said to her, Behold, my master, what if not, knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back my, anything uh, from me but thee, because thou art his wife. More truth. Now then, can I, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? No corruption. I love the fact, and we can all learn from this, Joseph had a conversation. Sometimes we need to have that conversation with someone trying to draw us into sin. Sometimes we just need to have that conversation with ourselves. It's okay to talk to yourself. Talk to your flesh about what God has said that is true and tell your flesh to go pound sand. Notice verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Right? No, no corruption. Why? He's now in the prison. He's not off in a, in a corner sulking. Right? He's not commiserating with all the other prisoners who, of course, are all innocent. If you've ever done prison ministry, they're all innocent. Uh, he's not involved in any of that. He's keeping a right spirit. He's keeping sin out of his life. Look at chapter 40 now. Go to verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Why is that a problem? Well, Joseph, right spirit, walking with God, interprets this man's dream, tells him he's going to be delivered from the prison house. And then he says, and when you get out, don't forget me. Well, he forgot him. Again, no bitterness, no complaining, no sin. Chapter 41, verse 14. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him out hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself, and he changed his raiment, and came in unto Pharaoh. Here's a man who's been mistreated. He's been forgotten. Still no corruption. After all this time in prison, still a clean heart, still a right perspective. And of course, with no complaining, no corruption, he wasn't going to quit. He was going to continue to let God have his way in his life. Look at chapter 41, and this is very important. Verse 46 tells us, the duration of this process. And Joseph was 30 years old when he, was, uh, when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, do you know how many years of testing? You can do the math. From 17 to this point, 13 years of testing. I'm wondering, do we have any 13-year-olds here this morning? Anybody 13 to be willing to admit it? Okay. All right. Some of you are close. How many 12-year-olds? All right. I, we've got to imagine all of your life. Okay. And it seems like it's going so slow and it's taking so long. But imagine all of your life being spent 
as a prisoner and being mistreated. Joseph did not get a chance to grow up. Well, he did. God gave him that opportunity. But not in the conventional way. The teen years, the free years, have fun. Parents pay for everything, you know. And okay. Joseph didn't. What, whatever it was like being a youth in those days, and I'm sure it involved a whole lot more hard work than it does these days, it was lost from a human perspective. But you know, in God's eyes, not lost. Not lost. God was continuing to work. Now, it brought profit. It brought profit. You can see on the slide I've given you, brought peace and prosperity. Why do we say that? Well, look at chapter 41 and verse 51. Joseph is now prime minister. He's given a wife. I think we're going to meet her in heaven someday too. I can't imagine that she was married to Joseph and she didn't come to faith in God. Uh, but he gets married. They have two sons. Now notice verse 51, we're given the name of the first. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Manasseh means God has made me forget. So he's now prime minister, he's getting to enjoy this blessing, and God gives him a son, and this son he names as a memorial that God turned everything around. What a perspective. What a perspective. You say, well, I might have that perspective if God made me prime minister too. All right? So are you willing to have 13 years of testing? The point is, you don't keep track of the time. You understand with the trial, I keep my eyes on God because he's up to something good in my life always. So, peace. But then prosperity. Notice verse 52, same chapter. In the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I love that. God could take a boy sold into slavery, put him in Egypt, and have him have a fruitful, bountiful life. Who, who does? God does that. And he's going to do it again with four to six million Jews who enter a wilderness, and he's going to take care of them, meet all their needs. So prosperity. What does Ephraim mean? God has made me fruitful. A slave, a prisoner, God made me fruitful. By the way, if I was speaking in a part of this world to people who were slaves or those who were in prison, I could give them the same truth that I'm giving you this morning. God can make you fruitful where you are if you'll participate, partner with him in the work he's doing in your life as a believer. So at the age of 30, Joseph repeated the blessings of the breaking process. Question, what has God taught you? How, however old you are, what has God taught you about the breaking process? And have you ever stopped just to thank him for that? 
You, you think about the work that he's done, and it's been painful, it's been hard, it's, it's, it's been long. Have you stopped to thank him? He that hath begun the good work in you has promised to perform it until the day you stand before Jesus Christ. Why? He wants you to be ready to stand before Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ if you're saved or if you're unsaved. But for those who are in the family of God, he's doing this wonderful work. And, and oh, by the way, God can use COVID to do that work too. Well, I just like to go hide someplace and, and then hopefully I can pull up CNN and it'll tell me it's all over. It's not going to happen. Or Fox or wherever you go. Okay? But God, but God can use that. He's used it to promote some to his presence. And by the way, that was part of his process too. That was not an accident. He had been working in their lives and this is how he decided to promote them. Amen? Amen? Well, it was just, if they hadn't been around this person and if they had taken these, stop. Where's God? He's at work. Even if I don't see things clearly, even if I don't make the choices that I should make, He is still working. And He'll continue that work. So, it's a partnership. It requires participation. It brings profit. And it fulfills God's ultimate purpose for his glory. And what is that? Salvation. Salvation. So in Genesis 41, verse 57 says, And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Now understand what God is doing here. He's taken Joseph, he's moved him to Egypt, he's put him through all these trials, he's refined him, he's worked in him so that now he can be prime minister and then God gives him this wisdom to build storehouses, shows him uh, through, the, through Pharaoh's dream there are going to be seven years of plenty, they put the extra into the storehouses and who's going to come wandering in because they need food? brothers and if most of us were Joseph we'd say oh brother can you imagine the shock that day when he's overseeing the distribution of that food and he recognizes these characters oh boy they've just gotten older and I think there is a battle that happens in Joseph's flesh Opportunity. <laughs> and all those emotions and those feelings come sweeping back in. Time to make some guys pay. It's not what he did. He fed them. He gave them their money back. But he was testing them. But who was really testing? God was testing. Through Joseph... He meant no harm for him. But God's going to use, through Joseph, to test these guys because they need to be broken too. Joseph needs to know now what he's dealing with. And God uses it to bring these guys, and they will even declare in Joseph's presence, I told you we shouldn't have done it. I, told, I warned you. Joseph's having to listen to all this and pretend like he doesn't know what they're saying. 
But God was working, and ultimately, what did it lead to? The salvation of the family in Egypt that then would leave Egypt, go into the promised land, and ultimately through whom Messiah would be born. God told Abraham, through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. Messianic, he's talking about Jesus. By the way, there is a spiritual famine in our world where we can be used to bring salvation to others, right? Lost souls, believing souls that need to be reconciled back to God, discouraged believers that feel like they're in a prison house. God can use you if you're yielding to the Lord's work in your life. If you're participating, you can be used to help bring salvation, deliverance to others. So let's close. Genesis 50 and verse 20. You ought to memorize this verse. This is the this is the summation of all this narrative through Genesis and involving the life of Joseph. Jacob dies, and the brothers think that Joseph's like they are. <laughs> if we were in Joseph's shoes, what would we do? We'd get our revenge. And they're afraid Joseph's like Joseph isn't like them. And so they come and they're trying to ease things. Joseph, you know, we, can we talk? We want to make sure everything's okay. And here's what he says, chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. God meant it unto good. To bring to pass right, his good divine will. To bring to pass as it is this day, and here's where the salvation theme comes in, to save much people alive. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Have you ever considered that part of that faith, part of that believing, is submitting to the work that God is doing in your life? A cancer diagnosis. covid ravaging your family and maybe there's a death an accident somebody turns out in front of somebody else it all seems random it seems haphazard it's just no not at all he brought us out that he might bring us in because he's got a wonderful plan for our lives now, what is revival? We're going to be challenged with that in two weeks. Here's revival. It's me surrendering everything inside me, all my self-will, all my determination to have my way. It's surrendering to God so that he can break me. And that's why a lot of churches never see revival. God... Thank you for all you've done, but I'm not, I don't want that to happen. Can I plead with you this morning? We do want that to happen. We must see it happen. And God's preparing us for the days ahead in a land that is turning more and more anti-God. At no time in my ministry have I ever seen Religious freedoms threatened 
like they are being right now. This Equality Act has nothing to do with equality. It is, it is the promotion of godlessness, lawlessness. We're going to have to be ready to take a stand, but only broken people are ready to do that. But in the bigger scale of things, there's a world that needs Jesus, and unless I'm broken, I won't open my mouth to tell the lost guy next to me how, how Jesus can save him. May God help us to yield to this wonderful process. May we submit. Because all things do work together for good of them that love God and are called. Let's pray. Father, I'm speaking to a congregation this morning. We have been through much. A lot of illness. Lord, I... I've had to stand in this pulpit multiple Lord's Days and announce deaths and funeral services. And yet I rejoice in the fact that you haven't lost your grip, but it's not just hang on. Lord, you're the master potter. You're doing a work in us. You're making us into the image of Christ. And Lord, it's good. And sometimes it hurts real good. But we know that you're at, you're at work in our lives. Lord, no doubt there are many listening this morning. Their hearts are full of fear, questions, perhaps bitterness. Because honestly, it's hard. We don't, if we don't have the right perspective, it doesn't seem fair. But Lord, we can trust you. So help us to do that this morning as we close out this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.